some worship.
New Year. You, how's everybody doing? Awesome. Well, it is great to see each and every one of you here. I am uh, I'm certain there are no sad Buckeye or Wolverine fans in the building today, right? No? Or Sooner fans. It's okay. It's been a miserable year all year anyway, so no, I'm just kidding. Well, we are so excited you've chosen to worship with us this morning. If you are a guest, please take the time to fill out that connection card in front of you, or you can go online and do that at our website or on the app. I'm telling you all, the app is fantastic. It's a great way to get connected and to know what's going on at Westgate. So please download that app. It's good stuff. In the meantime, take this time and greet one another with a happy new year and then maybe your favorite memory of this last college football season. There you go. <sighs>
for your loyal love. We thank you that you've, you've always been the way that you are and you always will, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our ups and downs. You're always there. And we pray that you'll just awaken our hearts, open our eyes to see that you're there. 
The new year is often a time for us to, to make a fresh start. Help us to see that because of who you are and the work that you did on the cross, that we, we are clean in your sight. Now and forever. Open our heart to this message today. Help it to carry us through this day, through this year. In holy name we pray. We're going to move now into another time of worship, a different kind of worship. That's our time of giving. Um, this is, is not a time for you to feel compelled or obligated or guilted. This is a time for us, another time for just to worship our God and to give back some of what he has given to us. So if you're a guest here, we ask that you'll just let the bucket pass right by you. And everybody else, help us to just, just be in this time together in another way to worship our God. What a blessing. Holy New Year. Holy New Year. Back to me. Holy New Year. We're about to talk about the Ten Commandments, guys. We need to pursue holiness. Holy New Year. There it is. I'm going to pray one more time real quick. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, give us your wisdom and understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bring out your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Exodus. Before I go and get going here, I want to just tell you a little story about a, a gal at the post office, a gracious lady who was at the post office. She was mailing an old family Bible to her brother in a part of another part of the country. The postal worker asked if there was anything breakable in the box that held the Bible. And she said, only the Ten Commandments. Happy New Year. <laughs> Welcome to those online. I'm talking to you too today. I'm talking to a family that is here. Together we have an opportunity to have a fresh start, right? It's been a challenging year for many people in our congregation, in our community, in our country. Today we begin a new series called Guardrails. We'll have multiple weeks going through a great place in the scriptures to start the new year, the book of Exodus, specifically the Ten Commandments. We'll learn foundational truths each week concerning guarding our paths as we strive to live godly lives doing our best to finish the Great Commission in an upside-down world. Guardrails, they serve a purpose. The Ten Commandments, they serve a purpose. Guardrails are used in the areas where danger exists. For example, in factories where heavy machinery is used, you will see guardrails protecting you from entering an area where physical danger could happen. The same can be said about the Ten Commandments. When you read them, you see the safety that they could provide. Likewise, you'll find guardrails on roads where you come close to a dangerous edge. 
The Ten Commandments direct and protect those who adhere to them in various areas of life. But finally, guardrails will keep you on the path. Today, we'll unpack how the Ten Commandments can be morally and physically safe guardrails for us to walk on our journey following Jesus. There were so many directions I could have went with this message. I could study for this and engage in this for weeks to come. There's so much information. However, I decided to just stay within the text. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, 1 through 6, and the companion New New Testament scriptures that I'm going to pull up for you to write down. You'll see on your sermon notes, for those that take notes, that I left it blank, and I did that on purpose. I did that because today is a new year. We've done a lot of things that we get in the habit of. I wanted to get and break that habit because it's a brand new year. Now, there may be notes next week and so forth. I'm not setting precedence. I'm just saying, today, allow the Holy Spirit to direct your pen so that you can then actually write it down and go, that meant something to me. Because I've been praying the last couple of weeks that that you will be able to write something on there that will change your life or move you closer as you lean in towards who Jesus is. Where are we in the scripture passage? But before we jump in there, these first two commandments, I have to briefly summarize what occurred just before God spoke to Israel. It would be awkward for me to start without some sort of background. I was taught early on in studying God's word that to have a 2020 vision, we look back 20 verses, we look ahead 20 verses to stay in context of that desired text, right? So here we go. Under the captivity of the Egyptians, under brutal conditions, Israel breaks free from them. God uses plagues. He uses the miracle of Passover and the parting of the Red Sea miracles under the leadership of Moses. For Israel to remember the works of the one true God, different feasts would begin. Israel is in the wilderness, and they start complaining about their current situation. Do you remember that Israel experienced massive God moments? The parting of the Red Sea, for example. Israel had a a bout of short-term memory loss, and we Christians often do the very same things, don't we? We'll have a joyous moment, we'll have a mountaintop experience, and then we spend the rest of the month in a valley instead of looking at God and what he has been doing. Israel spent a lot of time in the wilderness and started looking backwards towards Egypt, forgetting their suffering as slaves. However, like Israel, we forget so quickly the incredible moves of God in our lives. Wouldn't you agree? Short-term memory. God supernaturally feeds the nation of Israel and provides water from a rock in a place called Rephidim. Then a battle erupts erupts between Amalek and Israel. Israel prevailed whenever Moses held up his hand. Amalek prevailed whenever Moses lowered his hand. You may remember that Moses' hands became very heavy, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands. Aaron on one side and Hur on the other. Moses' hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. The battlefield had an altar built in that area known as, that banner was called, the Lord is my banner. In the Hebrew word, it's pronounced Jehovah Nisi. Then the arrival at Mount Sinai, Israelites are about to discover their purpose from the Lord 
who had set them free from Egypt. That brings me to Exodus 19. We read about the arrival at Mount Sinai. Israel encamps around the base of the mountain as Moses goes up to the mountain of God. In chapter 3 of the book of Exodus, you may remember Moses had an experience with the angel of the Lord who appeared to him in a flame of the midst of a bush. Flames of fire most often indicate God's presence. And the Lord promised Moses that he would free Israel from Egypt and take them to a land flowing with milk and honey. Israel is no longer held captive by Egypt. God's promises made, God's promises are kept. The Lord called on to Moses from the morning saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, And tell the children of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, says the Lord. You shall be to me, capital M-E, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Lord has chosen you out of all the earth. I chose to reveal myself, he says, and to work through you. You are my special people, God's holy nation. Why Israel? When you read the text, sometimes you ask yourself some questions. Well, what's so big about Israel? Why are the Jews so special? In the Old Testament, we learn the answers to this question is really nothing. God chooses as he pleases. He created the whole earth and the peoples that inhabit the earth. He's the creator of everything. Therefore, the Lord chose, uh, chooses Israel as a kingdom of priests, representing to God, uh, God to the rest of the people. Purpose. Let me say that again. Therefore, the Lord chooses Israel as a kingdom of priests, representing God to the rest of the earth. First Peter says this similar saying through the Holy Spirit. For those taking notes, you might want to write down 1 Peter chapter 2. And the church is to be a kingdom of priests, chosen by God and precious, being built up as a spiritual house, revealing God to the whole earth. Amen. So Moses came, and he called on the elders of the people and set before them all the world words that the Lord had commanded him. The people responded. The people heard Moses, and they said out loud together, they would do as the Lord had spoken. So Moses returns to the Lord with the people's answer to obey. And then another miracle happens. The Lord comes in a thick cloud for all the people to hear what God, when God speaks to Moses. Moses gives careful instruction on how they are to respond at this point forward. Moses brings the people of Israel out of the camp to meet God at Mount Sinai, and they stand at the foot of the mountain. Moses tells them that they are to be ready. First, Moses, he sets the limits for the people when they are near the, the mountain. Then take care not to go up to the mountain or even touch it. Whoever touches the mountain will be put to death. You should be asking questions to yourself right now. What is he talking about? Next, Moses tells them to consecrate themselves and put on new or clean your existing garments. Clean garments are a picture of a new beginning. 
Finally, Moses tells them to fast from sexual relations. Why is he so strict? What is God about to do? What is Israel's purpose? God wants his people to know that he is holy. I would write that down. God is holy. Nothing unclean can enter into his presence. Therefore, God set the nation of Israel apart from all other nations to reveal his holy character of God to them and for them to reveal this to all the other nations. God is holy, exclamation point. He is set apart from the people. I asked myself, did you know God is holy? The way some of us act, sometimes you would wonder. We forget. How can we communicate with him or be in God's presence if he's this strict? We can enter into his presence because of Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus Christ that we can reach God Almighty. Amen? Imagine with me, if you will, this mountain practically flying apart and thunder and lightning flashes a loud trumpet sound. The mountain is smoking. Who's blowing that loud trumpet? Those are questions I ask. It doesn't say. I can only guess it's probably an angel, but I don't know. Imagine the visual effects these people were witnessing right now. For those that like to watch movies, the trumpet is getting louder and louder in a thick cloud of smoke and fire as God descends down. I wish I had the DVD of this scene for sure. Israel's freaking out right now. They're actually fearful. But why are they fearful? Because God is speaking and they hear. On the screen, I'm going to have the scriptures in the ESV version. I'm going to read 1 through 6 of Exodus chapter 20. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that it is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Verse 6, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Our scripture text today reveals God speaking his word. The first two of the Ten Commandments. All of Israel heard the revelation of the one true God. Did you know that? I didn't realize that until I actually got in there. I said, wait a minute. Everybody heard God speak. First, God will be teaching Israel that which is holy. Second, God will reveal to his people truths of his character. Thirdly, the law reveals the sinfulness of man. What things do we need to understand about the law and the commandments? Before we deal with the first commandments, we should take note of a few truths about God's law. The truth, number one, for people writing notes is the promised land is dependent upon their keeping the law. 
The promised land is dependent upon their keeping the law. We must understand that Israel's possession and enjoyment of the promised land dependent on their keeping of the law. Leviticus chapter 26, Deuteronomy, these books describe the terms that God had laid out for Israel. Romans chapter 9, a New Testament passage, details the Apostle Paul's teaching of the law for the role of Israel. We need to realize that God has given them the land of promise and it is contingent upon them keeping his law. Deuteronomy 4.40. Deuteronomy 4.40 states that the Lord gave the Israelites the command to keep his decrees and the commands which he gave them so that it would go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land that the Lord God gave you. I understand that if Israel doesn't keep his law, the Lord will take them out of the promised land, which is precisely what he did when he brought them into exile. The promised land is dependent upon their keeping of the law. Truth number two, entrance into heaven has nothing to do with keeping the law. Did you know that? Entrance into heaven has nothing to do with us keeping the law. We need to realize that the law wasn't given as a means of being saved. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament bent over backwards to explain, particularly to the churches in the region of Galatia, these churches were being influenced by individuals who were teaching them about Jesus plus circumcision, Jesus plus food laws, Jesus plus keeping the Sabbath day, and so forth. Nowhere in the scriptures has God promised the Jews salvation by keeping the law. I couldn't find it. And if you can find it, I would love to hear uh, the scripture and verse of where you found that. I back up my statement by, write this down, Galatians 2.16. Galatians 2.16. It says, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That's the Apostle Paul, Galatians 2.16. Today we'll cover the first two commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself any carved images or idols. It would do us well if we were to remember these. These are not the ten opinions, but commands from the creator of the universe. I am the God that triumphed over all other gods of the Egyptians, and I showed you that I am sovereign over all these little g gods. I am that God, capital G. God speaks, exclamation point in my notes. Well, what does he say? Well, he introduces himself. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Once again, who hears this? All of Israel. These folks hear the very voice of God. How I long to hear the voice of God. I feel that impression sometimes. I feel like... Uh, when you read a scripture and it goes, oh, that's exactly what I was feeling. How he communicates through his word, the Bible. But to hear his voice, I think I would just blow up. 
How in the world could they focus with all that smoke, lightning, thunder, and God is speaking? Who knows what that sounded like? They're already freaking out because of those things. And then that loud trumpet, I can't get past that loud trumpet. It's going off and it gets louder and louder, it says. The mountain is practically exploding just from the very presence of God. God is holy. That should be in your notes. God is holy. The first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. This is straight up simple, yet it's the hardest thing in the world, I believe, of all the Ten Commandments for us to follow. The first commandment is that Israel is to worship only the one true God. The phrase, no other gods before me, means no gods beside me, no gods behind me, or no God in opposition to me. Interesting, isn't it? He means what he means. You shall have no other gods before me. Worshiping another god is not always obvious. Would you agree? Don't think that just because you're here in church, you might have a Bible in your lap or a device that you're holy, set apart. There's none of higher. If you believe in the one true God, that you are not also at the same time worshiping another God, you're lying to yourself most often. Don't believe it for a minute. There are things in our lives that come up from time to time. They bring to the forefront of our lives who and what we really have to put our hope in. And sometimes I think Christians would be shocked, myself included, to understand what we have actually elevated in our lives above God. It happens to every one of us in here. Every one of us elevates something ahead of God. In his book, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer stated that every human heart has a throne created by God for him to sit upon. Still, because sin has entered into the equation of man, God has been removed from the primary sanctuary of man's heart. As a result, Man has gone through the motions of trying just about anything he could possibly get his hands on to put it on that throne. Constantly looking to see if there are things to satisfy. Tozer was clear that the throne of our heart has been created by God for him and for his purposes. Sin confuses us. It's that same old original sin that started in the garden. Did God really say this? Did God really say that? You'll miss out if you don't do this or if you don't do that. Our current culture is distracted. We are distracted, aren't we? How many of us struggle to sit and read without feeling guilty that we should be working? You got projects on your mind and you try to come into your throne room and you get distracted. It's one of the most difficult things in the world to do is to sit and just communicate with God or just sit in his presence without happening to do something. That's where the American dream came in through the back door and it ruined us. It ruined us. It took our eyes off the focus. Am I the only one? I didn't see any hands go up. Maybe they're all raised up in the camera. 
when we try to sit on the throne of our hearts, chaos ensues. We will be miserable. We put the right God on the throne, the only one who is worthy to sit on the throne of our hearts, and that, my friend, is the Lord. Jehovah Nisi in our scripture text. Him alone. God says in his first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. There's so much more information that we could just question and answers. I could just see it going for a couple hours, actually. But that's what I have for us today. Second commandment, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So what God tells them here is that their worship, the worship of the living God is spiritual, not material or physical. So in my mind, I hear God saying that although I love the the guitars and the instruments, the piano and all others that are used to encourage us into worship, they are not the worship, amen? They help us get into the worship to receive the word of God. And today it was some great songs. I trusted the Holy Spirit and Adam. They knocked it out of the park for me. Thank you, team. Worship is a spiritual act before the Lord. So God says, I do not want you to create any kind of idol with anything that you can see. It is not to be made to look like anything that is created because I am the creator. Not me, God. And I. God is uncreated. There is nothing in creation that is like me, capital M. So don't make it, don't fashion it, anything that you're supposed to somehow look like him. We have no clue what God looks like. He is invisible, but you sure can feel the effects like I described about the Mount Sinai. Verse 5 goes on to say, You shall not bow down to them or serve or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. You may notice in this verse that reference to visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. What in the world does this mean? Let me read from the New Living Translation, that verse. It says it just a little bit clearer. It says, you must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. Life experience confirms that any and all immoral behavior by our parents often results in suffering for the rest of the family and so forth. This is the fruit of sin. When we worship idols without regard to the one true God, lives lived without guardrails of truth is what happens. Lives lived without guardrails. There's nothing to stop you. You just do whatever's right in your own eyes. Many of us before saved... We could write a book on that. You may recall hearing the term generational curses, for instance. 
I found out through research, it's a popular teaching that goes on in the body of Christ. And at its core, it explains why Christians are dealing with ongoing issues in their lives. Those who believe in the teachings of generational curses will basically say, if anybody or somebody is dealing with a sin condition or dealing with a health issue, they will say, you obviously, in some past generation, back three or four generations, God began this work of punishment in your family. You're the recipient of that punishment, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I say horse hockey. God forbid. This is not true. The key to understanding this idea, the 2020 vision I was talking about earlier, is he says within the text, this is the key. He visits the iniquity of the fathers or punishes the third and fourth generation. It's found in verse 5, which says, those who hate me, people who hate God aren't going to heaven. The New Living Translation says, those who reject me, those who reject God won't be in eternal life with him. That's forever. That's how generational curses pass on to family to family until somebody gets saved and it stops right there because you are now born into a new kingdom. You are born again because of Jesus Christ, the work that was performed on the cross, the blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. He died and buried just like the scriptures said and he rose on that third day again according to the scriptures. He is alive so that we can live as well and be reconnected for those who place their faith in that work of Jesus, in Jesus. God clarifies here that when the same attitude of hatred or rejection is passed down from generation to generation, that rejection of and hatred are taken up against the Lord. Therefore, like I said, the punishment will continue to the third and fourth generations. Can you see what the text is saying? I didn't bring anything into it. I pulled that right out of the text to get the answer about a proposed teaching going on within the Christian uh, church. I remember a line my mom used to tell me, you become who you hang around. Boy, is that true. So what are the wages or the results of sin? Death, correct? Yes, Randy. Sin is passed from generation to generation. Sin's in our blood, if you will. But God, exclamation point, but God, sin will indeed keep rolling downhill, if you will, but God has offered us a solution found in the finished work of the cross. Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin. You can stop generational sin by accepting the free gift of eternal life. John 3, 3, it says, the Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus says this. He says, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born in spirit is spirit. Amen? So if generational curses are true, then there are a few verses that make no sense at all to me. For those taking notes, 2 Corinthians 5.17, for example. I just said this earlier. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Suppose generational curses follow a Christian after accepting his free gift of life. If that's the case, 
This verse is a lie. This verse is not a lie. I'm here to tell you the truth. The old has not gone, he's saying. The new has not come. That's the lie of the generational curse teaching. People would still be dealing with the same generational issues that those who came before them. One other verse quickly, Romans 8.1, for those taking notes. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So based on this verse, you come into Christ all and any previous condemnation. What is the punishment is based on is gone. Any of that that you came into that relationship with is taken away as far as east is from the west. General curse, generational curse theology is very popular, particularly among groups that are superstitious. We must be careful to bring our ideas into the text of God's word. What God's word is saying is really relatively straightforward, isn't it? I'm going to show you one more. This is the last verse, and then we're going to move on. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Do you see what this verse says? Excuse me. Christ Jesus bore our curse. If there is a generational curse of what our forefathers did through you came to Jesus, then what he did for all mankind for salvation wasn't good enough. We know that's a lie. The Bible says that he has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And what is the curse of the law? Like I said early, earlier, the wages of sin is death. We must understand that as Christians, we have been made new. And if we don't hold on to this truth, we disgrace the truth. He goes on to say, God is a jealous God. We're almost done. He is worthy. Amen? He is worthy of all honor from all his creation God is honored when his creation is functioning correctly. This response gives God the worship and honor he deserves. His jealousy is because his love and his zeal for his creation is to live as we've been created to live. Verse 6 ends with the truth of God's steadfast love being shown to thousands of those who love and keep his commandments. What guardrails can I place in my life? I'm going to ask the band to come up. There's just a few points, and I'll have you write down. i got five of them. They're real simple. What guardrails can I place in my life so that I do not fail at at least the first two commandments? And then there will be more information afterwards throughout the rest of these weeks. But we must study the Word of God daily. That's where we find our truth. That's where you find current events. That's where you find past events through the study of the Word of God, not just reading it through the study of the Word of God. Number two, discipline yourself to read and pray daily. Discipline yourself to read and pray daily. Remember our purpose, number three. What's our purpose? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our purpose, to glorify God. How do we glorify God? When we obey him. For born again believers in Jesus, you agreed with God that you no longer will live for self. You handed him over your rights, if you will. Do you remember that? Where you made an agreement with God and said, Save me, Lord. 
God, save me. I can't do this. I tried to enter into heaven by my own merit, and it just didn't work. I can't go 15 minutes without something negative going on in my mind that is not glorifying to you, God. We become bondservants to Christ. We do as he leads us to do. This is so tough for us, isn't it? I have rights. Well, to be honest, we did die to ourselves, didn't we? We're supposed to do that daily. Do you remember that? We are supposed to pick up our cross daily, shouldn't we? And lastly, place God as your priority. He is the one and only. Amen? We're going to sing this song and then we're going to share communion. voice cry out to him cry out to him in this new year new day come on 
have a seat. We're going to celebrate communion right now, but I want to testify of the conviction that I felt just preparing this sermon. Paul says that you're supposed to examine yourself so that uh, we eat and drink in a worthy manner, the bread and the cup, the remembrance of Christ Jesus and the work that he did. But I'm here to tell you that I, I believe I've created idols I wasn't even aware of. And the one that I got a feeling you probably will agree with me is comfort. I seek comfort way more often than I should. Stinking American dream. Stinking flesh. We get a chance to do a do-over. It's going to be a brand new year. I challenge you to say holy new year instead of happy new year. We don't seek out happiness. Let's seek out to be holy because God is holy. Amen? Amen. Does everybody have a cup? Anybody not, not have one? You want to send, raise your hand? The ushers will fill you up. Looks like everybody's got stuff. 
For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Try and do it with one hand. Thank you, Lord. Just take a minute. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your brokenness that you suffered. Thank you, Jesus, for being our everything. We believe you. We trust you. Pray in Jesus' name. In the same manner, he also took the cup, and after supper, saying, this cup is of the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of him. We do this as often as we get to in remembrance of him. Let's take and drink together. Never like rushing through communion. This is a holy moment. Remember the Lord God. There's no other gods beside him. It's a lie. If you lifted something up heavier than or uh, higher than him, you're being tricked. You're being deceived. Do not worship created things. We have a tendency to worship created things because he's the creator. We worship him, not created things. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to close the service, but I want to remind people that there are prayer folks up here that if you would like to pray, Tom and his beautiful bride are here to pray with those who want prayer. I'll be up here for prayer if you need it. I don't think I ever introduced myself. I think my name is Randy Fall. I'm one of the care pastors here at Westgate. <laughs> I totally forgot. <laughs> I just realized that. That wasn't in my notes, see? It's been a while. It's been a hard year, you guys, and it's going to be even more of a harder year. There's people that are passing away. They're dying. It's tough for a lot of folks. So this holy moment, people are going to need us to be strong. And my prayer that I'm going to pray right now is that we would be found faithful, being strong in him, standing firm in the faith. Father, thank you for this family here online and here in this facility. This is just a facility. May we realize, God, you are in us, the hope of glory. Lord, change us where we're wrong. Forgive us where we failed. Change us on the inside, Lord, so that we can become more like you. You are a good God and a holy God, and you are worthy of praise. So I lift up my family to you in the name of the man, God, Jesus. Amen. Amen.